This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, Stephen Bradbury of He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good, Adam. How are you going? Uh, doing pretty well, thank you. Now, don't forget, we announced our partnership with the ASX to participate in the share market game they're running. So we, we did a bonus episode released last Thursday, it was. Uh, so if you haven't heard that one, go and check it out. We had Bryce and Alec from Equity Mates who are also going to be joining us. So a lot of hosts from across Equity Mates Media joining in uh, and taking part in the ASX share market game. And you can too. So we should link to the show notes, I think, again in this episode. We'll get them up somewhere a bit more central. But make sure you go and uh, go and sign up, join in. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think ultimately we all just want to beat Thomas. So <laughs> if that happens, then we'll consider it a success. If it doesn't, then we'll never speak of it again. All right. But Thomas, we've got a big show coming up. Uh, we're going to again check in with Philip Balls of Steel Low and see why he reckons literally <laughs> everyone else is still wrong. Mark Zuckerberg has now hit rock bottom following Facebook share market crash. He's down to his last billions and things are looking grim. We'll take a look at what's going on at Facebook or meta as it were. Scotty from Marketing has said that he thinks he can get unemployment with a three in front of it. We'll find out if he's talking high 30s or low 30s. Either way, that doesn't sound like a good target to me. People are looking to reinvent themselves, apparently, Thomas, which is an opportunity for brands and advertisers. My best friend at school wanted to be a tree when he grew up. So <laughs> I wonder if that's it. Maybe more good news for West Farmers' fertilizer business, I suppose, if people wanting to become trees post-COVID. But first, Thomas, we all remember the subprime crisis well, it's been reimagined and updated for 2022, and this subprime crisis will be using blockchain technology, <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> Thomas, is, is Bitcoin the new subprime crisis? Yeah, there's a bit, a bit of chatter in the press this week saying that is, the question, is Bitcoin the, the next subprime? Yeah, Bitcoin's been a bit of a crash lately. It's down below 33,000 USD now. It's half of what it was trading at in November pretty much cryptos across the board bleeding red mm. um there's more than more than a trillion dollars has been lost in this crash so far wow so a substantial amount of money mm, okay and so so before we get too into it so when we say subprime what do we mean is it is mm. it's not it's not optimus prime's underachieving little brother transforms into a taxi <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what was the subprime crisis? I don't, I, I don't think I understand it, which I'm, so I'm pretty sure a lot of other people won't. So subprime is what triggered the GFC. So when you hear the subprime, we're talking about the GFC. So Paul, Paul Krugman, who's a very famous economist, I think he's a columnist at the New York Times now, uh, he's saying that Bitcoin could potentially be the next subprime. So that means he's saying it could be the next trigger for the GFC. Okay. So what subprime is referring to is um, the way all the ninjas that got loans in the housing market in America before the GFC. All the ninjas? Mm. So no income, no jobs, no assets. Right. So the idea is that lending got super loose uh, prior to the GFC uh, and a whole bunch of people who probably shouldn't have got large mortgages got large mortgages. Mm. And then when inevitably, as they were always going to, they couldn't repay them, then that started the crash that triggered the GFC. Sort of the thing that happened is that those those ninja loans were then bundled into residential mortgage-backed securities and then on-sold onto other financial institutions. And that's sort of how the, the contagion spread through the financial system. And Lehman Brothers, the, the bank that collapsed, they were particularly exposed to residential mortgage-backed securities. And so those subprime borrowers, that's mm. what they say triggered the GFC, is when, when they all those subprime borrowers went bad, that's when the GFC happened. Okay, so that's so they're subprime. We, we're effectively talking about the borrowers in that case. Mm. So mm. people are borrowing money. Is that that's already a, a bit of a difference, isn't it, from Bitcoin? Or, or are we talking about that there's been a lot of people borrowing money to buy crypto? The point that Paul Krugman makes is that the crypto bear market's going to disproportionately affect the more vulnerable people in society. That's his right. words. And so he's pointing to the stat that 55% of crypto investors do not have a college degree. Mm. Yeah. And then I don't, but I don't think, I think it is a bit of a stretch because I don't think typically people aren't leveraging into crypto. I do know a guy who mortgaged his house and put it into crypto. <laughs> but I, I don't know that it's, it's that common. Uh, or common enough to sort of con- trigger like the kind of financial contagion that triggered the GFC. Mm. Nothing against people without college degrees either. I haven't got one of those and managed to navigate crypto. But now I'm thinking <laughs> I should move them all into NFTs because I can see what's happening in the crypto space. I don't want to be yeah. left holding the tokens. I'm moving it into artworks and <laughs> NFT JPEGs stacks. <laughs> it's been an interesting time for, for, for cryptos in a sense because it's clear now that they're a risk asset in the sense that they've crashed with the share market. Once, once the sort of narrative shifted and we're talking about tighter money, that's triggered a sell-off in cryptos. So that the idea that crypto is a safe haven, that now seems to, like it's very hard to argue that you lose you know, 50% in, in volatile times. That's not what a safe haven asset should do. It's not functioning as a functional currency because as, I'm, as far as I'm aware, very few transactions are actually being transacted in Bitcoin. It's still largely speculative trading. And so it's a bit like, well, this is kind of proof, isn't it, that it's largely a speculative asset. And, and people say, well, you know, look, look beyond it, adopt, mass adoptions coming and all of that. But it's like, yeah, but right here and now, it's clearly a speculative asset. Well, El Salvador did adopt it as legal tender. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, the IMF came out, the International Monetary Fund, and said, we think maybe you should narrow the scope, is what they said. You should narrow uh-huh. the scope of... And basically saying, don't make it legal tender anymore. Like, that's not narrowing the scope. That's just stop using it, eh? Because... <laughs> <laughs> 
when we say narrow the scope, we're really saying we don't think you should use it for anything anymore ever. But I think, weren't they trying to issue bonds backed by Bitcoin? Or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but think about what's happened in El Salvador now. Like, you, you, they're encouraging people to, to be legal tender. It's now fallen 50% in value. Yeah, a bit ouch. <laughs> a bit ouch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your comprehensive uh, economist analysis of it. It's a bit ouch for people in El Salvador. <laughs> so, well, you, you, you've, you've been a long-term crypto bear. So, this is good news for you, I guess. A bit of a vindication. Uh, to, yeah, I mean, to, a, to an extent. I mean... Uh, I do certainly feel that. You look at what's happening in NFTs, like, to me, it looks pretty clearly detached from reality. Mm. People dropping 20 million on a JPEG, like, (laughs) (laughs) it really gets harder and harder. Pretty good JPEG, though. Have you seen it? It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Thomas, the RBA uh, came out this week, or Phil Lowe was uh, at the National Press Club, and he reiterated the official cash rate will likely remain on hold next year. Seems to be a chorus of people saying that's probably not the case, but but Phil Phil's backing himself in again. What's your take? <laughs> yeah, so as we flagged uh, in the last show, so the RBA came out and they ended their bond buying program, so they've ended money printing. Uh, that year is now closed, and so the question now got moves to rate hikes. So when are rate hikes coming? We also got updated forecasts from the RBA, uh, particularly for inflation and unemployment, both now stronger or better than they were previously. Um, Phil Lowe did seem to bring forward the rate hike guidance. So before he was saying it's sort of late 2023 at the earliest, so probably 2024. That's now been brought forward to 2023. So saying that's when he expects to to start hiking rates. Markets still don't believe him. So they, they, he... (laughs) They they pressed him at the um, at his speech and and the first question afterwards can can rates go up in 2022, and he said that is is now a plausible scenario that rate hikes could come around in 2022, if we things are much stronger than we expect. So saying like it's not it's not it's not out of the question that we could get rate hikes in 2022. The financial press seemed to take that as a vindication of their. their <laughs> Lack of faith in Phil Lowe's forecasts. Why doesn't anyone believe what he's saying? He's the governor of the RBA. He's mm. he's in he's is he in control of the situation? Is like does he have knowledge that others don't? Is he kind of going, look, I'm telling you, and and everyone's like, I I just don't understand this kind of scenario where we've got the the governor of the RBA who should be in the know around what's mm. happening with rates saying this is the plan, this is when it's likely to happen, and everyone going, yeah, nah, that's not happening. But the, the markets have said, I read something, the markets have said four rate hikes this year. Yeah, four. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in February already. So that's like one every, what, two and a half months? <laughs> and he's going, nah, none. Yeah. I mean, four does seem, it's like that, he made this point, he's saying like, that, that people are talking about the markets now expect four rate hikes in the US as well. So he's right. saying like you're looking you're looking at the same rate hike pace as the US. Inflation in the US is currently running at seven percent. So like how in what world are we on the same rate hike trajectory as the US, where inflation is at seven percent, trim mean inflation's at two point six percent here. So we're like vastly different economic situations, but markets are pricing in the same rate hike cycle. And you're saying that that's kind of just that's sort of a bit hard to understand. 
So that's that's a, on one side. But on the other hand, the RBA has been consistently since COVID hit. Its forecasts have consistently undershot what's actually happened with inflation. Right. So each each quarter they 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 update their forecasts. Those forecasts have consistently undershot what's actually happened with inflation in quite a substantial way. I've got a nice chart. I'll share it to the um, to the Instagram at CVE podcast in case you're mm. searching for it. Yeah. So that's what markets are looking at. Saying like, yeah, you, you're consistently missing on your forecasts. You, you've just pub, you've just updated your forecasts. We don't believe those either. Either we think inflation's going to come back stronger than the RBA reckons. We think unemployment's going to go lower than the RBA reckons. We think wages are going to come back stronger than the RBA reckons. And so on all of that, we just don't buy what you're saying. And was Phil Lowe's defence? Yeah, but I'm an economist. We're shit out of <laughs> forecasting. <laughs> it did. No, it did say forecasting is very difficult, <laughs> notoriously difficult. <laughs> what's his What's his track record like? Like, so, is it, I'm trying to work out: is he right or wrong? Like, and or is it just going to be that classic economist kind of? We don't know what's going to happen, but once it does, we'll be all over it. And we'll tell you exactly, like, you know, you know why you're eating dirt right now. That's because inflation turned out to not be transitory. <laughs> anyway, enjoy your dirt. Don't eat it all at once. Like, <laughs> yeah, because he's banking yeah. on transitory inflation, right? He's saying this is yeah. still this, this, this inflation yeah. shall pass. Yeah, that, that's that's still the story. He hasn't seen it, and it needs to translate into wages pressure. That we haven't seen that yet. We get get the sense that it might be coming. And the other thing, though, is the the RBA has undershot the inflation target for seven years in a row. To believe the markets, you've got to believe that the RBA has undershot inflation for seven years for a row. It jumps back into the middle of the target band for one quarter, and then they start hiking rates to try and head it off at the pass. That seems a little aggressive given how, how long they've undershot. It seems, seems more likely to me they'll let, let it run a little hot for a little while to make sure it is that inflation is, is going to hold and not get pushed lower. Because it still seems to me that there are some still some structural factors pushing inflation down, and a lot of it is really just come out of the COVID shock, and, and or the disruptions to the, to the supply chains. And once those move through the system, it's not clear what you're left with at the end of that without strong wages growth. And that that's sort of what it swings on from here, I think. Right. So let's say we back we back Phil in, and we say, "Yep, he's on it. Um, the markets have got it wrong. How do we wh- how do we profit?" <laughs> <laughs> what are we because the markets are all kind of effectively working off these four four rate hikes pricing that into the market if i want to just back fill in here first name basis me and phil uh what are we looking at yeah assuming you're not an institutional bond trader <laughs> yes yeah safe to assume i think thomas that most of our listeners are not institutional bond traders <laughs> Uh, what would it mean? It would mean that rates stay lower for longer. We open up more of a wedge between U.S. inflation, assuming that the outlook for the U.S. rate hike cycle is correct. Mm. That opens up a wedge between U.S. rates and Aussie rates. Uh, that puts downward pressure on the Aussie dollar um, because U.S. dollars earn more than Aussie dollars in that scenario. So that pushes pushes the Aussie dollar down. That's typically good for your exporters, miners, you know, because they just a lot of their revenue swings on on what current on currency movement so a lower Aussie dollar is good for your miners good for your agricultural exporters potentially not so good for your domestic producers that reliant on overseas goods because they they become more expensive 
So if you've got like your, your tech manufacturers or something relying on chips from China, they, right. their costs go up. So maybe there's some plays there. All right, some typically vague advice there from Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Getting none of the rest of us any closer to profit. Thanks, Thomas. All right, Thomas, uh, Scott Morrison come out and he said that an unemployment target of 3% or something in the threes is achievable. Is that... Is that right? Is that possible? Yeah, that's that's what he said. I believe we can now achieve an unemployment rate with a three in front of it this year. Our goal is to achieve this in the second half of 2022. We have not seen this in Australia for almost half a century. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So he's come out and set, set himself a high bar saying it's going to be a three. This is going to be after the election. He's going to deliver this, by the way. Right. Going to, going to put a three in front of it. Vote one, ScoMo. Mm-mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting given that the unemployment rate's sort of heading that way anyway. And right now, you know, we could get a, th- we could, could get a three in front of it any day now or any month now. Mm. So, it's, like, it sounds great to have a three in front of it and it, it is a good outcome. But it's also a little bit cheap to say that the government's going to be, this, we're going to deliver this it's not so much what you're going to do in the next few months that's going to create that. Right. It's more of a, it's more of a this thing's happening whether we, whether we like it or not. Whoever wins could mm. – like Labor might just come out and go, we'll deliver that too. And yeah. the Greens, yeah, 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 we can deliver that. Everyone's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> What's your yeah. unemployment policies? Three, three-ish. Yeah. Mm. We're all good. We're all, <laughs> we're all on board with that. <laughs> all right. So what's, what's driving yeah. it then? What's, why, is it all, why is it heading that way? Well, this is, this is what's really interesting, in, in, and there was a bit of a conversation that followed this. So Sally McManus, who's the head of the ACTU, she came out and tweeted afterwards saying, the reason why unemployment rates are low is because the borders are closed. It has nothing to do with the Morrison government's economic management. As soon as the election is over, they will rush to return to huge levels of wage theft and exploitation of visa workers. Right. And so, she, so she's sort of making the point that it's, it's really a border story, and that it's about closed borders, that sort of reduced the size of the labour pool, which means that there's just more jobs given for the same number of people or for a smaller number of people, and then that's what's pushed down the, the unemployment rate. Okay, and, and is she right? Is it, is it because of the closed borders? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. So the, the people picked up on, on her statement and there's a bit of a pile on. So the Grattan Institute's Henry Sherrill, Callum Pickering from Indeed, Jason Murphy, they all said, ah, oh, it's not true. It's not borders have nothing to do with it. But then Stephen Kokoulis, the kook, he came out and he agreed with her, said it's, it's right. And you kind of look at the numbers and it, it, it feels like it might, mathematically it must be true. So you look at total employment. Total employment is only fractionally higher than where it was pre-COVID and well below the, the trend where you would have expected it to be mm. um, if, if COVID hadn't happened. So the unemployment rate is not lower because we've gone out and created a lot more jobs. We've created less jobs than you would have expected if COVID hadn't happened. It's also the case that unemployment is not lower. The unemployment rate is not lower because people have left the labor force. This is something else that can drive the unemployment rate lower. So in employment to population ratio, that's as high as it's ever been. People are pumped, people are psyched. They're in the labor market, they're participating. And so it must follow that the, kind of mathematically that the only reason unemployment rate's lower is because the total number of people in the labor force has gone down and, that, and that's what's pushed the unemployment rate down. So it, do, it does seem to be true to my reading. What, well, okay. So, yeah, so that, that stacks up number-wise. What, else, what, what also was interesting there when you said there's more people in the labor force than ever, 
that doesn't support the whole myth around the great resignation or the, the thought process around that all these people are quitting their jobs post-COVID and, and going to live in the jungle or whatever, you know, get back to their roots. That's right. No, the, the great resignation doesn't seem to have played out. The ABS um, payrolls data, they track this and, and yeah, follow what, what happens to people. And, yeah, there, there hasn't been people leaving, leaving the workforce, retiring. That, that doesn't seem to have been a thing. Turns out we all still need money to live. <laughs> yeah (laughs) COVID or no COVID still need some income groundbreaking stuff all right why don't we uh why don't we pause there we'll get a quick word from our sponsor for this week and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And of course, you can stay up to date with us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at cve podcast. So Thomas, last week we saw Meta, formerly Facebook's uh, stock price drop 30%. Uh, which is equivalent to more than $230 billion. Uh, it's sent analysts scrambling to re-rate the tech giant. Now, what's, uh, what's going on there? What can, we, what can we learn from this at the big picture level? So, I mean, if you want to listen more about the, what's happening in, in Facebook and, and what's driven that, the market drop, then, of course, equity mates are all over it. Um, but I'm curious to know, Thomas, how does this translate into, into a bigger picture understanding? Yeah, it was interesting. So, so Facebook got smashed. Yeah, they're like saying two thirty billion dollars. Which interestingly, or the stat I love is that that two hundred thirty billion is larger than the market cap of over four hundred and sixty of the S and P five hundred. There's only forty companies in America bigger than the amount Facebook lost on a single day. Yeah, it's crazy how skewed the market is. So it was interesting. Interesting in the in the first immediately the news was like, okay, yeah, this is the this is the quantitative tightening crash that the, these tech stocks have got have run ahead of themselves because there was too much easy money. Now the narrative has shifted. Money's tightening. Um, they're going to get punished. And particularly if they have a have a bad result, a pretty ordinary result, and it was a pretty ordinary result for Facebook, or for Meta, sorry. Um, and then then they got then they got pummeled. 
I'm not ready to call them Meta yet, by the way. Can we let's just call them Facebook for a while? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, yeah. but that's not. I'm not there yet. Yeah, so the, so the Facebook got hammered. We also in the same weeks. So this reporting season over the US, you're getting a lot of news like this. So PayPal also got smashed. They're down 24. percent um, Had their earnings got slashed on competition and slower consumer spending. So so they're getting pummeled. Um, and that was so that was the early reaction to those stories. But then Amazon came around and said that and pumped it. They got 13 and a half percent jump on the biggest one day gain since 2015. Their revenues were up on on cloud business revenue and markets like their plans to raise their prime subscription fees. So Amazon had a great result and jumped 13 and a half percent. Snap, they they jumped 58 percent. They got they had a scorcher. Mm. Yeah, so so it's kind of you're getting these mixed results, and it's kind of I think it kind of speaks to how volatile the times are, and how while the quantitative tightening narrative is important and is in effect, and is probably driving the downside results that when when they when companies do publish bad results, they get really punished for it. Um, you still need to look through that and look to the company specific results and you know 13 and a half percent for amazon is you know already a, already a monster that that's a huge result so amazon's a, a different business too and i think that's is that a takeaway here as well where we often i think certainly the last 12 maybe 24 months i've got very comfortable thinking of fang as like it was almost one company like if i'm going to invest i'm thinking i might invest in in fang which is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft's in there too. But I guess this is a stark reminder that Facebook is not the same as Amazon, is not the same as Google, is not the same as Netflix. Like, yeah. they're all different companies, right? Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, you, I think I think this this result really brings that home. There's just how different those companies are. Like, completely different products, can completely different markets, completely different approaches. Mm. Yeah, I think that really brings it home. And the other interesting thing is the one of the key the key things for for Meta, sorry, or Facebook, that that hammered their results was Apple's new privacy policy, which allowed users to block advertisements and stop Facebook tracking them. Yeah, and that hammered their earnings apparently. I think I think that's actually hammering a lot of people. <laughs> like I think Peloton got caught up in it as well. Peloton's the home fitness company so i mean they've been struggling of late anyway and, and i don't think it's it's solely attributed to apple but so apple apple has this thing called app tracking transparency which is a privacy feature within the latest versions of i of operating systems for iphones ipads um and essentially what it does is it allows the it, it gives the the user or the person who's the owner of the phone the choice to to tell an app not to track them and when it says don't when if you say don't track me it means you're not giving that app access to things like your uh, location data from your phone to your health data from your phone so your sleep cycles your your number of steps you're doing in the day uh, it doesn't have access to your browser history it doesn't have access to other things beyond that, that are within that within your phone within your mobile device all the sensors and everything else that's in your device it doesn't give that app, in this case, say Facebook, the Facebook app can now not see all of that data that it was up until, you know, what, 12 months ago. It was able to get all of that and then sell all of that. So that's Facebook's model, right? They go, um, we're going to take all of this data and we're going to build a, a, a profile or a picture of, of each person and we're going to sell that to advertisers. So 
once Apple came out and said, we're going we're gonna to give people the choice, <laughs> and people went, great. <laughs> They've <laughs> overwhelmingly adopted it. I saw a stat of 96% of, of iPhone users have now basically said every app that asks them whether they'd like to be tracked or not, um, they're choosing not to track. Um, I saw another stat was a bit low. It was like 84, I think. In the but language, though, like who says, do you want to be tracked? It's like it makes you feel like you're a bear being tracked in the woods. It's funny. Like there's different different companies are trying to come up with different ways of phrasing it so that A, it's still truthful, but B, it sounds like it's a good thing. So Facebook initially came out with kind of a scare tactic and they're like, help, help keep Facebook free of charge. Like it's like if you don't give us your data, then we can't keep giving you Facebook for free. And it sounds like everyone just kind of went, man, that's fine. I'll go use, I'll go use TikTok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't work. And then they're like, your data will be used to deliver better ads to you. Like, who cares? I don't know that anyone <laughs> is like the NBA took a similar angle. The NBA was like, your data will be used to de- deliver a better and more personalized ad experience. Who the is thinking about their ad experience <laughs> like if i'm watching tv that's that's totally unknown ads i don't look at them any more or less well at least i don't think i do they're just ads like i don't i don't need to tailor my ad experience so that's all they've got that's the only way they can sell this privacy tracking thing is you get better ads the, the other thing i like about this story is that i've read that like analysts are now scrambling to to like re-rate Facebook and and the price and they're all adjusting their target prices on the stock. Mm. And I just think like they're slashing their target price now by 30%. Like if Facebook dropped 30%, now analysts are adjusting their target price down 30%. What what are we paying these analysts for? So you had a price target of $100 a share, the company tanks 30%. Now you come out and go, I've got a new price target, $70. Like, you know what, analyst, tell me your price target of $70 before the market tanks. Mm. That'd be useful. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. So Charlie Bilello is a, an analyst. He's saying that Facebook is now trading at 17 times earnings. That's compared to the 23 times for the S&P 500, so the average earnings yeah, it's about 23 times earnings for the S&P 500. So on that measure, Facebook is cheap. But he's saying like last year, like two months ago, people were willing to, p- to pay 30 times earnings for Facebook. Now no one wants to touch it at 17. So it seems like maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's been oversold. Bargain. Stock up. Mm. Load up. I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Thomas. Finally, apparently people are overwhelmingly looking to reinvent themselves following covid mm. um create a new me you know not just go back to the status quo this i gotta be honest this is the worst news i've heard this week didn't we <laughs> didn't we already have enough kind of like self-righteous virtuoso kind of now we have to listen to all these people explain how they've reinvented themselves like can't we just what was wrong with the status quo what be happy with yourself like you don't have to reinvent yourself and if you do i don't want to hear about it just don't tell me about it you don't want to hear from influencers you need, you need, to, you need to get off facebook no, so, so, so there's some research from the ad, australian ad agency leo Burnett, um mm. that, and they're trying to understand how people are looking at the 
post, looking post COVID and how they're going to behave after that. And what they're saying, what they found is that 60% want to use the end of COVID as a moment to create something new, to go into to a new thing. Whereas only 25% want to go back to the way things were. And this is sort of interesting because like a lot of the political narrative is about being, getting back to, back to normal. Um, but saying like people don't, people, the normal wasn't really work, working for the overwhelming amount, number of people people in the Australian population and they're looking for COVID the end of COVID to then deliver something new to reinvent themselves and to change things up and I think this is interesting like it has a financial markets analogy here because one of the things that really shocked me in the early days of COVID when the stock market was down like 30 percent Google searches for um, how to buy stocks were exploding like it went through the roof and so I think people, and you saw this a lot, that people in COVID and, and all the, the hecticness of it were a bit like, I've got to sort my financial situation out. I need to, to get things sorted. I need to get into the markets. I need to get active. This is, this is the time. In this disruption, I don't want to just get back to normal. I want to use this to transform and, and, and sort out all these problems in my life so I come out the other side stronger. Um, and I think you see that in the fi- in. In, with personal finance but i think you're also going to see it this is what uh, leo Burnett's research is showing that that's going to be that's going to drive consumer spending as well that they're going to look for yeah the messaging that's going to resonate with people is stuff that talks about a new vision of the future not about getting back to the old the old normal what does this what does it mean for us i mean how is it how are they sort of reframing it then is this around advertise this is all around advertisers kind of taking a different path right yeah yeah this is this is what their research ties into saying so they're saying that you're sort of talking to to avatars and talking to the motivations that people have and 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 positioning your brand and your product in line with those those uh, motivations and saying there's four modes they're looking at one's making up for lost time two's reveling in the moment so actually enjoying life Mm. three's a new me like creating a new version of myself and four is creating a new world and creating a better world and saying that that companies that speak to those companies should look for to sort of tie those products into each of those modes to to be able to connect with consumers yeah wow i like i read that you like you sent me the article and apparently they they said they want to they want brands to make them laugh, give them some some enjoyment because they've stood still for the last eighteen months. Like, is this really what we want from brands? Like, that's what I want from my friends. I want I want comfy footwear and energy drinks from my brands. Like, I want Red Bull to give me wings, not not lighthearted entertainment. Like, yeah. Are they? I, mean, I don't have any friends. They've been in isolation for eighteen months. <laughs> I'd really hope that we're overstating the importance of brands and like I get that's an advertising psychology thing that they need to be thinking about. But I hate to think that pe- that we're looking towards towards brands and products and services to make us happy. Like has COVID taught us nothing? Like can't we just be surrounded by friends and go like this is great. I love my friends yeah. and I love sitting around uh, having a good time. Whether I'm wearing yeah. Crocs or... Uh, Birkenstocks or whatever I got on my feet, it doesn't. That shouldn't be what's important. <laughs> they call them campfire brands, so brands that people feel warm around that would enjoy having around a campfire. They're called campfire brands. Apparently. No, they're called friends. <laughs> that's that's what I enjoy having around a campfire. Yeah. But that, this 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 is how marketing works, right? Like it takes an existing drive within the individual mm. and then tries to position a product which is 
probably completely irrelevant to that drive, but tries to position it alongside that drive. So people go like, yeah, I just want to reconnect with my old friends and mm. um, enjoy good times. And, oh, Coke. Yeah, sure. That's, that's <laughs> one. That's, sure. <laughs> that, that, that's, the, that's the play. Just sort of sneak a Coke in there when you're trying to think about who you want to have around a campfire. Well, they highlighted Qantas as one of the great users of the campfire brand's theory with their latest uh, COVID-19 vaccination campaign. The last thing I want to be thinking about when I'm flying Qantas is a fire. That's just... (laughs) All right, that does us for this week. Uh, Thank you once again so much for joining us on Comedian vs. Economist. We really love being able to bring you the show every week. Don't forget to also check out the ASX share market game. Uh, Equity Mate's getting right behind that as the content partner. Uh, Thomas is going to be putting together some, some written material, some other material. Um, we're all going to be playing the game uh, and we hope that you'll join us. Uh, of course, you can check out lots of other great shows from Equity Mates Media. Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, Talk Money to Me, and cu- Crypto Curious, I should say. There's a lot going on in the crypto space now, so it'd be a good time to join that one. Uh, Thomas, thank you for your company once again. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with more Comedian versus Economist. We'll talk to you then. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.